Well, good morning, everyone. Now, first off, I want to say that that was weak, but I'm not going to make you do it again because, I mean, really, you had your chance and you, you blew it, okay? I'm, I'm Sam Kautzman. I'm the Associate Pastor of Student Ministries, which basically ranges me from 7th grade through 12th grade, and sometimes there's a little bit of leeway both older and younger, too. Um, been here for four years now, which is, which is pretty cool, which is pretty cool. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the youth ministry. Um, here we have about 80 students in the, in the age range that I serve, and we see between 40 and 50 of them weekly. So sometimes they're gone for sports or trips, sometimes they come with friends, and the friends you know, come once a month or something like that. And anyway, we, we run with about 80, and then we see about 40 to 50 on a weekly basis. Um, that runs between well, teen, high teens with junior high and, and mid-20s to mid-30s with senior high. Um, we took a bunch, we go to camps, we go on trips. Um, we had about 25, I think, go to tr either on camps or trips this last summer. We had several different students accept Christ as well, which is pretty cool, which is pretty cool. The youth ministry in our church, our goal is that kids would be equipped and would grow in the service of the king. We want them to know Jesus and serve him and walk with him in their schools right now and throughout the rest of their lives. We want to give them tools. If our, if our church's mission is win, build, send, of course we win, of course we send, but with the teenagers, we, we spend a little bit more time in that build section. Um, we have a lot of different service opportunities. This last summer, we had a bunch of students help out with CEF. Some students who couldn't help out with CEF still went and did some CEF stuff anyway. We had others with VBS. During the fall and spring, we have quite a few that help out with Awana. Um, we have kids helping out with a monthly soup kitchen and also on the, that trip to Orange, which was pretty cool as well. Now, oh, I should say one other thing. Um, our, our volunteer team, by the way, is fantastic. There's, we have over 20 that serve regularly, which is pretty cool, especially with a tough age group that, I mean, I know the, the younger group is, I could never serve kindergartners. I struggle with that. But the one, one pro thing, kindergartners generally won't text you at 11 in, at night with an emergency. Um, so anyway, we're very, very thankful. If you, you, if you see one of our volunteers, thank them for me. I, may, I didn't want to call them out by name and embarrass them in this service. But. Now, there's three ways you can be helping support the youth ministry here at the church. Three ways, okay? If you... If you don't have a kid, we'll, we'll say there's way more, but um, the first one is prayer. We need prayer. Pray for the volunteers. This is, a, this is heavy work. Um, the, there's, there's, how do I put it? There's like an epidemic among, among junior high and high schoolers of, of things like depression and self-harm, um, of, of addiction, both could say to the internet, but you could also say to porn. Um, 
It's heavy stuff. Sometimes there's this, there's this move. I don't call them kids because they're not kids. You know, you can't, what do you call them? Well, young adults. Well, they're struggling with, with old adult problems too. Be praying for them. Be praying for these students. And be praying for the leaders. I'm not a parent. Um, but over the last four years, you know, seeing these kids grow, seeing them, them, them bear fruit for the Lord, those are some of the most joyous moments of my life, seeing them share the gospel and grow in Christ. Also some of the saddest moments, though, when I see these kids struggling in their faith. Those things weigh. So pray for, pray for me, pray for our volunteers that we would have wisdom and encouragement. Of course, pray for the kids with their struggles. Um, if, you, if you want some more specific prayer requests, um, there's, a, there's a table out there, sign up. Um, make a mark next to it that you're looking for the prayer requests and we'll get them out to you um, monthly. Um, we covet your prayers. Second, um, we have a great team of volunteers. Um, we do have one, one need, and that would be we could use another Wednesday night high school lady volunteer. It's from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays. It's a, it's a commitment. Um, if you're like, uh, I don't know, we can give you a trial run if you'd like. This isn't a lifetime commitment. If you, so don't think you're, you're selling yourselves for this. Um, and we'll, we'll support and train you as well. If you're a guy, we'll take you too as well, of course. But there is a need for, for a, uh, a lady. Um, finally, this last one, and this is more for parents. If you're the parent of a junior or senior high student, um, if you are not getting postcards or information from us, you should be, okay? We, we try to get addresses, but sometimes people move. Sometimes students or volunteers write down the information wrong. That happens, okay? Um, sometimes it gets lost in the mail. Whatever the case, um, if you're like, hey, I haven't been getting information. I'd like information. Sign up out there. Give us your address, your name, so that we can get you guys plugged in. You can also follow, or not follow, we have a Facebook group that affords us a little bit of privacy there. Um, we want you to join that. So put your email, say, hey, I want some Facebook updates as well, and get, um, we'll get you going, we'll get you plugged in. Okay? Thank you. Be praying for us. And we really, again, really appreciate it. So here's Barry. Thank you, Sam. If you have your sermon outlines, you can pull those out. <clears throat> this morning we are beginning and starting a new sermon series, a two-week two series called Financial Faithfulness. This morning we're going to talk about what the Bible says about money, and next week you don't want to miss next week. You don't want to miss next week. We're going to talk what the Bible says about our giving. That's it. 
You know, sometimes when we pastors and church, we get up and we begin to talk about tithing, everybody kind of goes into a bit of a retract mode, right? I want to tell you what, if you want your life changed, if you want to know that God is real, if you want to have an experience of the reality of God, give him the opportunity to infiltrate your finances and watch him show up, watch him become real. So no high pressure. We just want to teach what the Bible says and encourage you to be cared for and to experience the care of God. Well, this morning we want to talk about your relationship with money. How many of you realize that you've got a relationship with money? How many of you think it's personal? Anybody here? If it's not, please come see me later. We, the relationship we have with money is a personal relationship. And let me ask you some questions just to help you understand that. How many of you leave your credit cards lying around? How many of you like to know where your wallets are? What is the emotion you have if you don't know where your wallet is and you think it might be lost? How many of you check receipts after you get out of a business to see if you've been under or overcharged? The next question is, is how many of you like people to ask you questions about your money? How much money do you make? How much do you tithe? How much that car sent you back? You got some cash. Those are all credit. Those are all questions. And usually, friends, what happens to us is most of us know where our wallets are all the time. We mo- we, if, if our wallets are missing, we're looking for them, and there's a sense of panic until we get them back. We know. We know what's in our, what's in our, where, we know where we get our money. We know where it is, and we don't leave it lying around. And for the most part, we don't really want people asking us a lot of personal questions about our finances. So the next question is, if money is kind of a private matter, Where do we go for advice when we need financial help? Do we go to a close friend? Do we go to a financial advisor? Well, let me suggest that as God's children, the safest place we can go, the place where we are to start is right here because God has financial principles that guide us and give give us a perspective and give us direction concerning how we can spend our money, how we can save our money, how we can use and invest our money so that we not only build a strong financial base, but we build a strong steady and stable life. But here's the principle. Usually the more personal something is to us, the easier it is uh, for us to get off track away from biblical principles. It can be easy for us if we feel strongly about something to want to hold it close, to own it kind of ourselves, and to be hesitant to say, God, I'm going to give you full control over this area. Let me tell you a story that illustrates this. Alice Grayson was new to a church And she had volunteered to bake a cake at the women's bake sale. Now the problem was she forgot about that commitment until the morning of the bake sale. So while she's getting ready for work, drying her hair and getting her son packed for scout camp, she's baking a cake. And she tried to find one. She finally found an angel food box cake in in the pantry. She made it while she was doing all that other stuff. And when she pulled it out, it wasn't a good deal. The middle of the cake had dropped flat. The cake was horribly disfigured. It looked like sign of an aberration, and she didn't know what to do with it. So she goes, and she knew that she didn't have time to make a new cake. So she started looking around the house for something that could prop the middle of this cake up so that she could ice it, take it to the bake sale, and then buy it before anybody else got it. Well, she found her solution in the bathroom. She got a roll of toilet paper, put it in the middle of that cake, and iced it. Let me tell you, friends, it didn't just look good. It looked perfect. Well, then before going to work, she went and talked to her. She woke her daughter up and said, here's some money. The bake sale starts at 930. Be there on time. Buy that cake. Bring it home. Well, her daughter got up, got the money, was there on time. But guess what? Somebody had beat her to the cake. I mean, it was looking good, friends. 
Well, she texted her mom. Her mom was beside herself. What are they going to think? Everybody's going to talk. They're going to point fingers. They're going to ridicule. And the problem was she was a single mom. She was already feeling a little hard to fit into the church. And she goes, this is just going to put the icing on the cake, so to speak. Well, she just she fretted about it all night, decided that the next day she was going to have to just forget about the cake. She was invited to a bridal shower, and she kind of was hesitant to go because the lady who had invited her kind of was looking down on her, and she kind of wasn't a prominent member of the church, but she said, I'm going to go and, be the, and, and have the best time I can. So she went. The meal was great. The ladies were friendly. They included her. She felt like she was becoming a part of the church family, and that all lasted until the lady brought out her angel food cake for dessert. Um, can you imagine? So she got up, ready to tell the lady there's kind of a surprise package in that cake. And just as she did that, was going to get up, the mayor's wife said, man, what a beautiful cake. She sat back down, only to hear this woman who was a prominent member of the church say, thank you, I baked it myself. <laughs> Alice sat down and said to herself, God is good. So what's the point? This is the point. All of us have areas of our life where we're tempted or we have the tendency to compromise our convictions. How many of you would say that's right? We all have areas where we are tempted to compromise our convictions, where we are tempted to do what is easy rather than what is right, to do what serves our interests rather than to be obedient to what Christ calls us to do. And this morning we want to go back to the base. Where do we go when we need help, when we need encouragement, when we need to be foundationally grounded? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is that saying? It's saying that when we put God's word ahead of us, it's going to keep us on the path and it's going to get us to the destination that God wants us to get to, where he wants us to go. So what we want to do this morning is start with a beginning truth. What does the Bible say about money? The beginning truth, friends, is this. On your outline, God owns everything. Now some of us are saying, hey, God didn't work the 40 hours. God didn't save and shrimp to buy this car or to take this trip or to buy these groceries. But here is the principle. Friends, in the Bible there are primary truths and there are secondary truths. And the secondary truths are always subject to the primary truth. And the primary truth is this, God owns everything. In Genesis 1, it says God created the heaven and the earth. God was the creator. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that God sold off his rights to the earth. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, it says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he made them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. What was God doing? God was giving us instructions how to take care of the world that he created, that he owns. He says that we are to conquer. We are to be under control. We are to be fruitful and multiply. So what God does, he blessed us and he said to subdue it. To subdue means to conquer, to bring under control. To have dominion over means that we have been given authority, we have been given the right to govern, to take control over. So what has God done? He has created the earth and then he has given us the responsibility to control, to manage, to govern the earth in such a way that reflects his purposes. So everything you and I have has been given us to God to use and to live and to, to make applicable to our life in the way that God wants us to to live, and how he wants us to use it. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11, confirms this when he says, 
When the psalmist says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and all its fullness are mine. Everything we had, everything God created is our, is God. He's given us to us. He's entrusted to us to care for. So, remembering that God owns everything, number one, it guides me to use all that I have for his purpose and his plan. Friends, when we remember that God owns everything, it reminds me, God, you have a purpose, you have a plan. Help me use and what you have given me. Help me to spend the money you have given me. Help me to invest the money you've given me. Help me to, to save the money you've given me so that it accomplishes the purpose you have, for my, you have for my life. Friends, if you want to know what is important to you, if you want to know what you love, there's two things where you, there's two places you can look. If you look at your checkbook and look at your calendar, what you give your time to and what you give your money to reveals what you love. If you ever wonder, what do I really love? Look at those two things and say, God, would you conform this so that what, so that what I'm doing with what you gave me lines up with your plan and your purpose? Number two, when I remember that everything is God's, it keeps me from being prideful over what I've accumulated. Sometimes we can think because of what we have that we are more important or more deserving than other people. When, but when we accept that everything we have, everything you have, everything I have is a gift from God, given to us by God, and that's not only the money, it's the gifts, it's the abilities, it's the talents, it's the personality, it's the grit in our lives that helps us to accumulate and, and, and live and have the things we have. When we remember that is given to us by God, then instead of having an attitude of pride, there are two other attitudes that come into it. Number one is humility. Thank you, God. I come before you. God, thank you for giving me what you've given me. And the second is thankfulness. Humility and thankfulness instead of pride. And friends, we talked last week about the fact when we are thankful, when we are thankful, we're opening ourselves up to receive from God. When we are prideful, we close ourselves off from God and we are not able to receive what he has. And number three, when I remember that everything I have comes from God, it keeps my focus on God rather than on what he has allowed me to have. See, sometimes we can acknowledge people based on what they have. Well, that's John. He lives down there at that big house. Or that's Bill. He's got that new truck. Or he's got this or he's got that. And friends, when it gets down to it, our goal as God's people, regardless of how much we have or how much we don't have, we are to be known more for what God has done for us in the past, present, and future, more than what God has given to us. We are to be known more for being children of God. No matter how much I have, no matter you have, what we are to be, what we are to be known is, man, that man, that woman, he loves Jesus. That man, that, so, that, that individual is sold out to God. Not what we have, but we need to be known for what God has done, what he is doing, and what we anticipate God doing in our lives. And friends, when we are known from that, when we understand that is what we need to be known by, everything else then can come together and follows in an order underneath that where the first thing can happen, where God's plan and purpose is accomplished within our lives. So what is the purpose of money? Let me suggest that there are three things that money can do in our life. Three th reasons that God gives us money, three things is to accomplish. Number one on, on this section of your outline, money is a trust. What God does is that he entrusts us with finances, he entrusts us with resources, and again, what is the purpose? To use what he has given us for his plan, for his purpose, so that his will is accomplished. We can never get away from that idea, friends. 
that everything you are, everything I am, everything we have is to be used for the glory and the purpose of God. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, not for men, not for other men, not for yourself. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So what do we do with our money? Do we save our money? Do we spend our money? Do we manage our money? Yes, we are doing something. So what are we to do? We are to take every aspect of our money and we are to use it. We are to work with it heartily as for the Lord, bringing glory to God through the resources he's given. Now I love this because Paul mentions this in Colossians. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, on the outline it says chapter 7. There is no chapter 7. So we need to go back a verse, a chapter, the First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6, 17 to 19. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. Here's kind of a mentor giving his mentoree some direction. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. They are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul is saying that our attitude when we look at money is to be focused on these four things. He's telling, he's telling young Timothy. He said, when you have money, it's to be used for doing good. We are to be rich in good works. We are to be generous, generous, and we are to be ready to share. And this is great. What does Paul say will happen if we do that? If we are do good, we're doing good works, we're generous, we're ready to share. He says, when you do this, in verse 19, thus you're storing up treasures for yourselves as a, as a foundation in the future. See, friends, this is the challenge we face. We live in the temporary, and oftentimes it's easier for us to trust a bank account number we can see rather than a God that we can. And God is all about getting us out of this temporary part of our life and preparing for the eternal part of our life. Friends, what's going to be longer, the temporary or the eternal? The eternal, right? So we have to get our mind saying, God, help me to manage what you've given me, the money, the resources, the gifts, the talents, in the temporary so that I am what? Laying up rewards in the future. But sometimes, friends, the pressures of the temporary, of the right now, get so great, it's hard to think about the eternal. And then I love what he also says in verse 17. He says, God provides us with everything to enjoy. Food and fun are a part of God's agenda. He's not a sourpuss. He's not saying, well, just, boy, be careful and don't have any fun. He says, have fun. Enjoy what you've been given, but also make sure that you're planning for the future. Friends, if we understand that what we have been given is a trust, it will affect not only our actions, it will affect our attitude of our heart. We will develop a mindset where we are an individual so that when the time comes, when we will be tested, when we, when we will be, have been entrusted to help someone, the attitude that we have cultivated will lead us to an actions that will help. Let me give you an example. In 1908, Irish explorer Ernest Shackleton headed up an Antarctic expedition. He was attempting to reach the North Pole. Well, they didn't make it. They came within 97 miles and they had to turn back. 
And as they were there, kind of at that point, they were exhausted, they were hungry, they had pretty much run out of food, except every one of the explorers, every one of the men on this expedition had been given the last portion of hardtack. Each one got one last portion of hardtack, which is kind of a dried biscuit. Some of the men immediately took that hardtack, that biscuit, they made some tea and they ate it together. Others of them put it back in their in their back sack and waited for their kind of their last hungry, desperate moment. Well, that evening people were tired, they were exhausted, they were cold, they were miserable, they were feeling discouraged. They all got in their sleeping bags and were kind of getting ready for a cold night. And Ernest Shackleton said that right before he went to sleep, out of the corner of his eye, he noticed one of his most trusted men who sat up in his, in his sleeping bag and kind of looked around to see if anybody else was watching. Well, Shackleton's heart sank as he watched this man begin to reach for the food sack of the man next to him. Shackleton watched as the man opened it, he opened the food sack, and then he took his own hardtack, his own biscuit, and quietly put it in the other man's sack. One man in secret, in the quietness of a desperate situation, was so in tune with the need of another purpose, person, that he gave up what was rightfully his so that the need of the other would be met, to be noticed by no one other than God and recorded and rewarded by no one other than God. May we be about the process of letting God change not only our actions, but our hearts, our intent, our minds, so that we are willing givers when we, in fact, are in need. Number two, the second thing money is, it's also a tool. Now, what's a tool? A tool is something used to help complete a task or a project. So in this case, a tool is used, money is a tool to accomplish a purpose that God has given. Let me suggest there are two tools, two ways we are to use a tool of money. Number one is to live on. We are to use the tool of money to live on. Let me just read you some verses. Psalm 37, 21. The wicked, bar- the wicked borrows but does not pay it back. The righteous is generous and gives. Romans 13, 8. No, owe no one anything except to love each other. Proverbs 27, 23. We are to know well the condition of our flocks and give attention to our herds. Deuteronomy eleven fifteen says, share freely with the poor. What these verses and other verses seem to say is that we are to save our money, we are to pay our bills, we are to owe no one other than love, we are to pay attention to the condition of our flocks, to our finances, to those things that we use to survive on, and we are in that we are to be responsible, we are to take care of ourselves, and we are always to be ready to share. So number one, we are it's a tool for us to live on. Number two, it's a tool to represent Christ with. And we're coming back to this this idea again. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. See, sometimes what happens, God will bring people into our life that need to be built up, that need to be encouraged. On a regular basis, our benevolent program, Steve and Trent and I, run into people just about every week that have reached the financial end. And if you have ever been there, you know how significant financial stress can be. You don't have the money for this. You don't have the money to pay a bill, to meet a need, to pay the rent, to take care of some very basic needs. This Thursday, Steve met a guy in the, in the foyer. He's talking to him. He comes into my office and the guy, buries this guy out here that needs to talk with you. And he was a man. He was bawling, friends. He was broken. He had lost his job. He had no money. But more than that, it seems that God used the brokenness of his finance to break his life. 
And as we talked with him, this man accepted Christ as a Savior, and then we were able to help him with some basic financial things to get him going. But we know the degree of stress that finances can have. And friends, remember what the Bible says again and again and again. We are to be compassionate, ready to offer practical help to those that need simply to know they're not alone. I remember times in my life when we were struggling in our first church or struggling in school and people just out of a sudden came and met a need. It was like a burden was lifted off. 2 Corinthians 5.20 reminds us that we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is an authorized representative. You and I are authorized representatives from God. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Blues Brothers? Ever seen the movie The Blues Brothers? Remember the one line where Elwood says that he is on a mission from God? Friends, every one of us is on a mission from God. I'm on a mission from God. You are on a mission from God. And there are times when we need to have the resources and the heart that is available to you to be used by God. See, the greatest, friends, when you get to heaven, the greatest question that God's, one of the greatest questions God's going to ask you is how did you use what I entrusted to you? How did, was your heart and was your pocketbook open to help this? Not to deprive yourself. We are to be financially based, but to say, God, for your sake, to represent you, I'm going to reach out and care for some people. I'm going to have a heart that's prepared, and I'm going to have a savings account that's ready when you bring a need that I can snap to it and with the love of Jesus touch somebody's life. In 1992, Ku Klux Klan Grand Dragon Larry Trapp made front page news. For years, Larry Trapp had terrorized a Jewish leader in his community. The Jewish leader's name was Michael Weiser. Weiser received death threats against him from Larry Trapp as well as others attending his synagogue. But one day, Larry Trapp tore up his Nazi flags, he destroyed his hate literature, and he renounced his involvement in the KKK. Why did he do that? This is why. Because when Larry Trapp was dying from a diabetes-related kidney disease and was unable to care for himself and none of his other buddies would take care of him, guess who took him in? Michael Weiser, the exact guy he had been terrorizing. He took Larry Trapp into his home and he cared for him. And what did Trapp say? Let's get a load of this message. He said, he showed me so much love I could not help but love him back. Friends, if God gives you and I the chance, we are to show love so that they can't help love us and they can't help love God, the God who sent us, the God who equips us, the God who calls us to be greater and more than we could ever be on our own. Number three, money is a test. Money is an indicator of what we know based on what we do. Money is an indicator of what we know based on what we do. In the Old Testament, it says, hear, O Israel. You know what the word hear means? Hearing doesn't just mean listening. They say that unless you do it, you haven't heard it. So hearing means doing. So a test is an indication of what we know based on what we do. There are three ways that God allows money to test us. Three ways. What money first does, money shows what I love most. Your money, my money, will show what we love most. Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to find out, friends, what's important to you, look at your checkbook and look at your calendar. Where you spend your money and where you spend your time is an indication of what you love. Number two, money shows what I trust most. See, I remember I mentioned earlier that it's easy, easier, time, easier at times to trust a bank account number that we can see rather than a God we cannot see. And you know what God's doing? God wants us to believe that He is more trustworthy than any financial situation. Any of you ever lost money? 
It can go fast without us ever realizing it. Small and large amounts. And God understands. This is it. God knows you and I so well. He works with us. He just doesn't demand we do something. So God knows that we're going to have a difficult time in trusting him. So you know what he does? He says, just give me, he says, test me this. Just test me. Just test me. Give me the opportunity to see if I will not be faithful. In Malachi 3.10, he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the place where you get fed. You are to tithe to the place where you are fed. If you are fed here, you are to tithe here. If you are fed somewhere else, you are to tithe there. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says these four words, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You know what he says? He said, you just test me. You just start tithing. You just be faithful. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless you so much you can't even contain it. It's going to overflow out of your life. You're going to be sick with blessing. That's what he's saying. God is going to bless you so much, you're not going to be able to contain it. See, God is not a God looking down on judgment. God is trying to find ways to bless your life. God is trying to find ways to bless my life. God is saying every day, he says, what is fresh every morning? Your mercy, Lord, is new every morning. How many of you need mercy every morning? I want it morning, I want it noon, I want another dose in the evening. Because I need God's mercy. And God is saying, I want mercy. I want blessing to flow on your life. Remember last week, we talked about the fact with every promise, there is a premise. And the premise is we are to test God and trust Him with what we have. Number three, money shows if God can trust me. What a statement. By how we handle our finances, it tells God whether or not He can trust us. Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy trustworthy with someone else's property who will give you property of their own you know what he's saying he says i want to find you faithful by how you use your money how you save it how you earn it whether you're generous whether you're good i'm going to i'm going to look at that and reveal whether i can trust you with the true riches the things that are really going to fill your life up really going to mess you up in a positive way are really going to challenge you are really going to say man i know why i'm getting up this morning because god has a purpose for me god is looking at how we handle finances and he's using that as an indicator of whether he can trust us with the things that have eternal value. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that verse? Is that a verse that is just a nice thing to think about or are we all in? Friends, we can, we can talk what we say or we can walk what we believe. We need to come to that point where we cross the line and say, God, I am all in. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to allow, I'm going to test you. God, I'm going to surrender my life and leave all my eggs in your basket. Dallas Seminary was founded in 1924, and shortly after it was founded, it ran into some real financial problems. And on a certain day at 12 o'clock, they were going to be foreclosed against the seminary. They were going to go bankrupt. Well, that morning, knowing what was coming at noon, the men that had founded Dallas Seminary were in the president of the seminary's office, and they were praying. And one of the men, a Southern Baptist preacher by the name of Harry Ironside, was praying, and this is what he prayed. He says, Lord, we know that you, that the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and send us the money. That was his prayer. 
Well, when he was praying that prayer, a tall Texan with a big hat and big boots walked into the business office of Dallas Theological Seminary. And he said to the secretary, I've just sold two carloads of cattle over in Fort Worth. And I've been trying to make a business deal go through and it won't work. And it seems to me that God is saying that the seminary needs the money. I don't know if you need it or not, but here's the check. The secretary knew what was happening in the president's office. She took the check. She gently tapped on the door. Dr. Francis Perry Schaefer, Louis Perry Schaefer, the president of the seminary, came. The secretary whispered to him what was happening. He took the check. He looked at it. And friends, the amount of the check was the exact amount they needed for the loan. Exact amount. And then he looked at the name on the bottom of the check, and he realized it was the name of a cattleman. And then he turned to Dr. Aaron, to Harry Ironside, and he said, Harry, God sold the cattle. God sold the cattle. Friends, do we put ourselves in a place where God can sell the cattle? Do we put ourselves in a place where we can see the reality of God, where we can trust Him and know that He is faithful? He will, you cannot outgive God. He will bless you in ways that will overfill your life. And this morning, I want to encourage you in two ways. Honor Him. Show Him that you love Him. Show Him that you trust Him. Show Him that He can trust you by how you spend your finances. And if you have been living on your own, if you are a child of God that has been distanced from God, this morning, come home. Come back. Get in the saddle. Ride hard. Put all your eggs in God's basket and say, God, I'm going to live for you from today on no matter what. And if you are not a believer, friends, this is it. If you are here and you've never accepted Jesus, if you, this is it. If you have never given God the opportunity to take care of you, God wants to take care of us. He wants to guide us. He wants to give us fulfillment. Do this simple thing. Humble yourself. Admit you're a sinner. Make the commitment to give yourself all that you are to Him. Talk to God. Thank Him for forgiving your sin. Ask Him to come into your life. And then spend the rest of your life every day saying, God, teach me what I want to know and help me become the person that you saved me to be. That's all of our goal today as we leave. Would you stand with me this morning as we close this part of our service? Father, if there is someone here that is distant from you or doesn't know you, Lord, I, I just bring them to your attention this morning, Father. And I pray, God, that you'd overwhelm them with your grace. That you would not be seen as a controlling God, but a God so full of love that it overflows into our lives. And I pray that even right now, that individual, that person, that man, that woman, that child might pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. And God, for the rest of us, may we pray this prayer. Use me today, God. I am fully yours. Use me today. Change me today, God. I'm fully yours. And now as we close, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace and his joy and his mercy and his grace and his kindness. May you trust him and may he be real and may he meet your need of the moment today. Discourage, encourage the discouraged, lift up the faint-hearted, and make us mighty for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. We'll see you later.